The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. My name's Cameron. Yes, I'm an intern here this year at the Inn, uh, and I'm super excited to be speaking tonight. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable up here by now as a public singer, uh, but public speaking is still a little bit out of my comfort zone, so this will be interesting. Uh, I was thinking about making a joke on how I usually use these, these handheld mics tonight, but got upgraded to the Madonna mic tonight. But then I realized half of you guys probably don't know who Madonna is. So I got a picture. That's what we're talking about. You might know it better as a Justin Bieber microphone nowadays. Uh, so dance routine is coming up later in the sermon. Be ready for that. Uh, but before I get into our scripture tonight, it's a bit of a tradition to, uh, during intro talks, to essentially give you a one-minute overview of my entire life up to this moment right now. So with that, let's cue the next slide. I was born in Los Angeles, California on August 14th, 1993, and after a short career in baby modeling, as we can see up here, uh, I moved to Longview, Washington. Kidding about baby modeling, but there was some potential, I don't know. Uh, I had a great childhood, played lots of sports, got into music, in general just tried to stay out of trouble with my friends. Uh, And this next picture is from the first band that I was ever in, seventh grade. Come on, come on. Annaline, my greatest middle school accomplishment, Battle of the Bands, seventh grade in Longview, Washington, third place, Annaline. The band band name was Annaline, which I later, as a biochemistry major, found out uh, is an incorrect pronunciation of the chemical uh, aniline, so... Wasn't even a real word, uh, but we found it in the dictionary. I thought it sounded cool. Uh, clearly, we were into Good Charlotte and Simple Plan. <laughs> uh, so there's that. I also have an amazing family. Oh wait, I'm sorry. There's oh, he's good. He's good. There's another picture. Let's go back. Sorry, Dakota. That's the second one. This one's maybe even better. <laughs> Just take that in. Take that in. So much angst. The parents did not understand. You, parents, you don't understand. The pink headband at the end, and then also, you might have missed this, but the popped collar from our front man was a good touch. So yeah, that was middle school me. Uh, but yeah, I also have an amazing family, as I was saying before. Uh, that's my mom, Gail, my dad, Tony, and my little brother, Tristan, who is my best friend and was also recently featured in the University of Portland school newspaper for some of the most outstanding facial hair on campus. Also, uh, similar similar resemblance to Taylor Motter for any M's fans. He gets that a lot. He's he's on a streak right now. Um, So yeah, my family was great. uh, And overall, growing up in Southwest Washington was really great. I loved high school and... Usually when I try to explain the kind of kid that I was in high school, I'd say I I did a little bit of everything. I played soccer and water polo, was really involved in both the jazz and the chamber choirs, DECA, student government, young life. I sort of just dabbled in like a little bit of everything. 
And I graduated from high school as valedictorian in my class. So that's me speaking at graduation. Uh, and after that, decided I was going to go to UW. So moved up to Seattle in August. Let's go, pups. Uh, no one says that anymore. That was a thing for a hot minute. Go, pups. Uh, <laughs> so it was at this point in my life that we saw a quick juxtaposition between valedictorian cam that we see up there and frat cam. <laughs> this is frat cam about three months later. Uh, also, great spot on the Ave. Aladdin's, come on. <laughs> lunch spot, not a lunch spot. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I joined Pi Kappa Phi fraternity my freshman year here at UW, studied biochemistry in undergrad, and overall I had a great experience at UW. Honestly, a lot of that had to do with this place right here, where I found myself most Tuesday nights. So now that I've talked about myself for long enough, let's get into what we're actually going to be talking tonight, talking about tonight, which is that I'm closing off a four-week series uh, here at the end that we've been calling Life from Death, Finding Jesus in the Unexpected. We've been talking about different ways that God can work through difficult situations in our lives and how ultimately he has a plan for each of us to grow closer to him through these challenging times. So with that, I would love to jump into tonight's scripture, uh, but first, let's pray for our time. Jesus, we thank you for this space. Uh, we thank you for every single person that's in the room here tonight, God, uh, and I just pray that um, my words would be from you tonight, Lord, and uh, that Something that I speak would be heard by uh, someone, that, someone that needs to hear it, God, uh, and, and that it would help someone grow a little bit closer to you. So, Lord, we just commit this time to you, uh, and we love you. pray all these things in your name. Amen. So tonight, we're going to be looking at the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 16. And to give you a little background on what's going on at this point in this gospel story, Jesus had been performing a lot of miracles was starting to stir up a lot of drama in Israel. He claimed to be the son of God, the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. But many people, especially the Jewish leaders that we know as the Pharisees, had expected the Messiah to look a lot different than Jesus. They expected the Messiah to be a mighty warrior who was going to come and defeat Israel's enemies in battle. And so from their point of view, Jesus was a blasphemous teacher who claimed to be God, but they didn't think he was, and so they had begun to create a plan to kill him. And as this plan was starting to be drawn up, Jesus decided that it was probably time for him and his followers to leave town for a little while. So this is where we're starting from tonight, uh, with Jesus speaking some pretty heavy words to his disciples about what it really means to follow him. So he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. In verse 24, Jesus gives uh, his disciples instructions on how to become disciples. But they already are his disciples, right? So notice he says, Whoever wants to be his disciples. So really, these instructions are for us, too. 
We're not one of his original 12 disciples, but really all that disciple actually means is to be a student or a follower. So really we can all be disciples of Jesus. I had this math teacher in high school and he taught calculus. He was a really nice guy, but he was the absolute worst at assuming we already understood everything that had previously been taught to us in another class. Anyone ever had a teacher like that? So we all, we all remember our trig identities. Why would we ever forget those as soon as the test is over, right? Super useful in normal life. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's one of my pet peeves when people assume that just because you were taught something once, you should understand it perfectly. I think we're often pretty guilty of this in the church. Disciple's one of those Christian words that is sort of just assumed we all understand, but I just want to encourage you guys that, especially if you're in a small group or a Bible study type group, anything like that, there's seriously no dumb questions. We can always be forming a deeper understanding of what we know about the Bible. So if you realize that you don't have a perfectly clear understanding of a word or some historical context or anything like that, ask someone. There's absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. So disciple, discipleship is a call from Jesus and he's calling, he's calling us to him. He's calling us to follow him, to be his student. And that's a decision that we have to make every single day, not just once. Luckily, Jesus gave us a lot of guidance on how to follow him while he was here on earth. And so that's what we're trying to understand a little bit of right now. So Jesus gives us three separate instructions on how to be his disciple here in verse 24. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So let's start with this self-denial idea. We just finished Lent, a 40-day season in the church calendar where many people will practice some type of fast. Some of you might have chosen to give up sugar for Lent or maybe social media, Uh, And others might have even practiced a weekly 24-hour fast from all food, something like that. And while this could be a great start of this practice of self-denial, it definitely isn't the full solution. The practice of self-denial that Jesus calls us to here isn't just giving something up for Lent. It is giving up on ourselves as Lord of our lives, and instead choosing to let another Lord direct our life. During my freshman year at UW, as I mentioned before, I joined Pi Kappa Phi fraternity and also started coming to the inn pretty regularly. There's a lot of people here on Tuesday nights and definitely took time to make some real friendships, but after joining a small group, taking a risk and deciding to go on a few retreats, I was really starting to feel like I knew the community here and that, and that they knew me. Now, if you know about fraternity life, you probably know it's not the perfect Christian world. You know, Pycaps is a great house, tons of great guys there, and I loved my time there, but I really kind of had my feet in these two different camps. I had, I had my in-life, and then I had my fraternity life. I had these two different groups of friends, two really pretty different lives, and you know what? I was, I was pretty good at being an in-goer, and I was pretty good at being a fraternity guy, too. So there's these two that are pretty different and they didn't really cross paths too much. And that was just fine with me. (laughs) That's Lori, she's my host mom. (laughs) Thanks for coming, Lori. 
I remember being here on a Tuesday night feeling really comfortable. <laughs> like I could just be myself without worrying if I looked cool or whatever. I was comfortable. And, and then I would go back home after the end and I put this guard back up. I didn't want God to see this other part of my life. I had been compartmentalizing my faith. Do any of you guys ever do that? On Tuesday nights, I'd show up in this room and I'd say, okay, God, I'm ready for you to be in my life now. I'm ready. Where are you? Let's do this. That allowed me to, to share a whole life. That allowed me to share my whole life with the people here on retreats, in small groups. And it was that vulnerability that led to feeling known by this community. And that felt good. But I didn't have that same, I didn't have that same vulnerability back at the fraternity because I wasn't allowing my faith to be involved in that part of my life. I said before that practicing self-denial means that we have to give up on ourselves as the Lord of our lives and instead to choose to let another Lord direct our life. Obviously, if I wasn't even acknowledging God's presence in my life, at least in my living space, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't allowing him to direct my entire life. I was limiting my ability to be his disciple to just a few hours a week when I was involved in some kind of Christian activity. So eventually I actually realized that I had this wall up between myself and God when I was in the fraternity. I realized that I felt like a, complete, a completely different person at the inn than how I felt at home. And if you feel like you might be in that place tonight and you, you want God in all parts of your life, I've got good news for you. Because all you have to do is nothing. because he's already been there the entire time. I didn't have to take things out of my life before God could show up. Instead, we're able to wake up each day and acknowledge the Holy Spirit's with me right now. And slowly over time, things start to look different. At least they did for me. God was changing me from the inside out. And what God was showing me during college was that he didn't just want to be Lord of my life on Tuesday nights from 9 o'clock to 10.15. He wanted to be Lord and influencing my life in everything that I did. Denying yourself complete control of your life doesn't mean that we just have to let everything go or completely run away from everything. It doesn't mean that you have to move out of your living situation and start new. It just means that you're asking Jesus to walk alongside you starting from exactly where you're at right now. All right, let's move on to the second command that Jesus gives us in Matthew 16. Take up your cross. What does that mean? When I think about the cross, not only was it the most painful, horrible way that you possibly could have died in the Roman Empire, it was also very public. I think that what Jesus is asking us to do here is to die publicly. He's asking us to take up the challenges that come with being a Christian and to bear them bravely. I don't know if any of you guys have ever sold anything online, 
But there's this website called Reverb.com. It's basically like eBay for, specifically for musical instruments. And I have like four different snare drums for my drum set. And you can only use one at a time. <laughs> People think that's kind of excessive, uh, but they're all different, seriously. Different types of wood or metal, different sizes. I use them all for different things. But I had this one snare that I wasn't using a lot anymore, and I decided to sell it on Reverb. And I never sold anything online before, so I take the pictures and type up the description and figured out how much shipping was gonna cost and priced it accordingly, and it actually sold super fast, within 24 hours. So I was stoked, I boxed it up, dropped it off at UPS, had all this new cash in my bank account, the transaction goes through fine, and there was a small percentage taken out by Reverb, which is totally fair, so I send it off and think we're all done. Then a few weeks later, at the end of the month, I get this email from Reverb asking me to pay off the balance on my account. And I'm kind of ticked. I already paid the fee when the transaction went through. It wasn't as much money as what I had listed it for, so that must have been the fee, right? So I'm literally sitting at my computer, about to call up Reverb. I'm not paying for this. You already took out the fee. You're double charging me. And then I realize, right as I'm about to call, as I'm reading through the fine print again, that I'd forgotten one little thing. There's this company called PayPal. And they've got to get paid too. So when the transaction went through, the money that was automatically taken out was the PayPal fee, not the fee from Reverb. And it's not like they were charging me like 30% or something crazy. It was fine. It was a small percentage. But it still really caught me off guard because I didn't know that there was going to be that cost. Now, none of us are actually going to have to die on a cross. I hope not. I really hope that you do not physically have to die for God and the kingdom of God. I really hope that. But why I think Jesus tells us to take up our cross is because he wants us to know that while the life that we get by following him is one of rich fullness, it's not always easy. Was I still getting a good deal selling my snare drum after paying the extra fee? Yeah, probably. But I didn't know that there was going to be that cost. So when it did cost me something, I kind of wanted to bail on it. Being a Christian does not promise that your life will be better, at least by our society's standards. And it definitely does not mean that your life will be easier. So what Jesus is telling us when he says, take up your cross, is don't be afraid to wrestle with this for a little while and figure out if this is worth it. Because it will cost you something. Jesus gave us some really challenging stuff to figure out in the Bible. And we're all on that journey together. I miss the mark every day. But by taking up our cross, Jesus is asking us to make a public, to make our public lives a testament to what we believe, both in the times that faith feels like the easiest thing in the world and in the times when it can be really challenging. Now, I said before that we have three separate instructions on how to be a disciple of Jesus here, and the third is to live a life following Jesus, right? But this is actually just the statement that brings the first two together. Denying yourself and taking up your cross are only possible through 
this third call to live a life following Jesus. Now, why don't we follow Jesus? Because we're afraid to lose our life. And so we're trying to save it, but he says whoever loses their life for him will actually find it. And Jesus is saying that this is what's gonna happen. He's saying, you guys are gonna be so nervous about losing your life, you're going to try and hold on to it and you're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss what Jesus has planned for you. And this was what Mike was talking about at the beginning of this whole series. We're gonna miss it because we had this plan. We're holding on so tightly to this plan and so we missed it when Jesus was trying to do something incredible in our lives. I was pretty involved with Young Life in high school. I hosted a campaigners group at my house, played drums at club, I was a student leader. And I remember one specific club talk where our area director held up a poker chip. And if you have ever played or watched poker on late night ESPN, anything like that, (laughs) really late. (laughs) They don't play that when anyone's watching. Uh, but you know that one of the most exciting things that can happen in a game of poker is for someone to push all of their chips into the middle of the table and bet everything that they have. It's called going all in. So during this Young Life talk, my area director holds up this poker chip and he asked if we were all in in our life with God. Was I ready to give up every part of my life for Jesus to lead? And I really enjoyed the talk, but at the end of it, he invited anyone who wanted one to come up and take a poker chip and hold on to it as a reminder that I'm all in. And I didn't take the chip that night. And when I got to college, I was still in this kind of the same spot. I was a Christian. I believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And I liked everything about Christianity. I liked coming here I liked who I was in this space. I liked the way that the people made me feel in this community. I liked sharing vulnerably. I felt very loved here. But I did not like the idea of God being fully in control. I knew that there were parts of my life that I wasn't willing to turn over yet. It could have been career plans, how I spent my money or my time, a romantic relationship, or even certain friendships in my life. But I had some plan for what my future was supposed to look like. And I wasn't ready to let go of all of that. I, I, didn't, I didn't believe that God's life for me was truly better than my life for me. And if that's where you're at right now, if you're being honest with yourself and you're saying, it all sounds great, but I'm just, I'm not ready to take the chip yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to go all in with everything. That's okay. Being honest with yourself is the most important thing in that process. But if that's you, I, I wanna encourage you to keep pursuing him, to keep asking questions, and slowly, over time, keep letting him into more of your life. And if you are ready to be all in with God, you do want to take the chip tonight and you're saying, yes, I, I know that there's things in my life that I've been holding on to and I want to hand that over to God. Just know that no matter what you pray tonight, your life's probably not going to look completely different tomorrow. 
When Jesus asks us to lose our life for him, he's not just asking us to let go of everything. He's not asking us to quit everything that we're currently involved in and fill our entire schedules with Christian activities and Christian people and Christian content. He's not asking us to just go live in a bubble with him. Jesus doesn't want you to drop everything. He just wants you to let him hold it with you. Life from death. What I want us to think about for a second is do we really believe that we will experience fuller, richer life by dying to ourselves and following Jesus? Is there really life from death? Jesus says that there is. And even more than Jesus saying that life comes from death, this past weekend, we celebrated the occasion of Jesus showing that life comes from death. But even though we celebrate this holiday of Easter Sunday every year, it doesn't mean that it's easy to live out believing every day. And guys, ever since I heard this Young Life talk, like six, seven years ago, I've been wrestling with this. Is it better to do things the way that I think is best, or is it better to trust God? And it doesn't mean that I just have to leave all these great things. God has used all of these things. He's used these friendships. He's used my desire to dabble in all these different things in great ways. I haven't had to change everything about me. But it means that I'm allowing him to do what he wants with this. I'm allowing him to work through me to bring the kingdom wherever I go. And I'm trying, I still get it wrong every day, but I'm trying to die to myself daily because I believe that's how we experience this life to the fullest that we possibly can. So my question for you tonight is, are you ready to invite God into everything that you have? Are you ready to invite God into everything that you have? Jesus doesn't want to be one section of your life. He wants to be in everything, living life with you to the fullest that it can possibly be lived. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this place and thank you for these people. We love you and we commit this time to you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that um, as we continue to worship throughout this night that we would remain centered on you, that we would use this time to um, connect with you, to grow closer with you and and uh, to grow closer in community, God. And so we love you and we commit this all to you. In your name we pray, amen.